0: A Woodside Church podcast. Hi, everybody. How are you? Felt like a school teacher there. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> Amazing. Um, if you don't know me, I'm, I'm not a school teacher. Um, my name's Debs. I'm on the staff team here. Um, I'm the senior operations manager, which just means I make sure everyone has what they need to do their jobs. Really. Um, And it's my pleasure this morning to be here and to start a new preaching series with you. It's a short series, it's just four weeks, um, and we've titled it For the Love of. um, And we're going to be looking at how God's love should um, frame the way we love other things and how our love for those things should bring love to God. Um, But to do that, we first need to understand the love of God. And so this morning's talk is titled For the Love of God. And I just want to take a minute and say a huge thank you to everybody who brought a word during worship this morning. I just want to honour you and thank you for responding to the Spirit because I sat down to write this preach and I'm not going to lie to you guys, I told several people, oh this will be easy, like I've grown up my whole life loving God, I can definitely talk about love God, the love of God and then you sit down and you realise how vast, how in the words of the Bible, how wide, how deep the love of God is and you realise this is a huge task and you know, I couldn't cover everything. And so I'm grateful for you who responded to God, who brought the things, many of which I thought, I just can't cover that this morning. And so thank you, guys. Um, yeah. Uh, I also want to say, if you are here today and you don't know God, and you don't know the love of our God, I want to tell you now with all certainty that you are loved beyond your knowledge with an everlasting love. That is just a fact. And I pray today that that love would set root in your heart as I speak and become truth for you. So let's look at this incredible love together. We're going to start in 1 John chapter 4 um, and read verses 7 to 10. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who has been born of God and knows God. Sorry, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. The love of God. It is not that God loves us just some of the time. It is not even that God loves us all of the time, although he does. It is that God is love. What does it mean that God is love? That's the first kind of aspect, facet of God's love that we're going to look at, the fact that he is love. We believe in a God that is eternal. We believe he was before all things. We believe he will be after all things. And we believe he is unchanging. And so it leads to a question. If God was before all things and God is love, what was his love directed at? Well, we also believe in a God who is three in one, a Trinitarian God. He is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they existed in this perfect loving union where the Father was pouring love out on the Son and the Spirit, and they were bringing glory to Him. And the Son was pouring love out on the Father and the Spirit, and they were bringing glory to Him. And the Spirit was pouring love out on the Father and Son, and they were bringing glory to Him. They existed in an eternal union of love. This glorious love. God is love. He is relationship. Loving relationship is intrinsic to who he is. And that's why it can be almost a litmus test, if you want, of the Christian walk. If I am not being loving to people, then I am not in good relationship with God. That is just a fact of my life. I can see the times where I am in good relationship with God, I am a loving human being. It flows out of me because it is flowing into me through God. And when it doesn't, it's because I'm not spending time in the presence of my God. Because God is love. It's one of the great wonders of God's love is that that love could have remained there it could have remained perfect and holy and wonderful contained within the trinity but God made a decision to create to pour his love out onto and into that creation an incredible sermon by Charles Spurgeon which I will plagiarize many times in this morning's <laughs> preach um, He, in it, wonders on this, and he says it is no surprise that we would love God, the one who created us, the one who gives us life, food, shelter, hope, but that he should love us. What a wonder. That he would pour out his love into our world for no reason beyond the fact that he is love. And that we would have the opportunity to reflect that love back to him and to a world in desperate need. And this leads us to the second aspect of God's love. God's love for everyone I'm going to read Romans 5 verse 8 which says but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners and we'll get to the Christ to die for us part because obviously that's important but whilst we were still sinners I don't know about you guys but I don't love people who hate me That isn't my natural state. I mean, I do because God tells me to, but it's not my natural state of being. People don't love people who persecute them. People don't love people who hate them. But God does, whilst we were still sinners. What an astounding mystery that God does not wait for us to love him to love us. Rather, whilst our hearts are set against God, he pours out love upon us. Do not fall into the trap of thinking that at the point that you began to love God was the point that he began to love you. No, no. God has loved you since the beginning, before the beginning of the world. You are loved with an everlasting love. There may be those in this room this morning and your heart, maybe it's turned against God, maybe it's just indifferent to God. Maybe you have gone through things that have hardened your heart to God and his love. I just want to say it again, And not for the last time, but you are loved with an everlasting love. I confess that in my own life there are moments where I don't love God very well. Not well enough at all. There are moments when I question his plans for my life, where I try and grapple back control. There are moments where I don't trust the outworking of his love in my life. I don't trust his purposes and his plans. And then there are other moments where I just forget. I just completely forget about this glorious love, this glorious God. I just forget. I get busy with the things in front of me and the people in front of me and the work to be done, and I just forget. And yet, he continues in those moments to pour out his love onto me. I have an embarrassment of riches in the love of God. He will stand at that door and he will knock And if we just open that door, he will come into our hearts and he will make a home in us and he will be the king of our lives. He will rule with justice and love for us. And I pray today this truth would penetrate into your hearts and I pray it would penetrate into the darkest corners, into your secret hidden places, into my secret hidden places that we are loved with an everlasting love. It is not a conditional love. It knows no boundaries. You are loved right now as you sit there, exactly as you sit there, exactly as you are with an everlasting love. And Christ demonstrated this love in a shocking way. And I think we have to remember how shocking the cross is sometimes because lots of us as Christians have got used to the concept of the cross. It's become familiar to us, but it is shocking. Every aspect of it is shocking. And as Christ hung on the cross dying for our sins, as he hung there... He looked down and he said, Father, forgive them. It is shocking. He poured out love on people who had spat on him, on people who had whipped him, on people that had mocked him, who had put a crown of thorns onto his head in mockery, on people who had driven nails through his flesh, hung him up to suffocate and die, who had torn his clothing off him and cast lots over it. And not one of them, not one of them looked to love him. Not one of them looked to love him. One man asked for forgiveness that day, and it was a man on the cross next to him. None of these people. But God looked down, and in his enormous love, he said, Father, forgive them. God's love is for everyone, absolutely everyone. We have been careless and indifferent lovers of God, but he has been constant and true and extravagant with his love for us. And in that act of love, he brought salvation for those who would receive it. And that leads us to the second, third sorry, aspect of God's love. God's love, his saving love. And there's a hymn by William Rees. He's a Welshman. Welsh hymn writer? I don't know if there's a better title for hymn writer. That's all I could come up with. Um... I'm going to read it to you now, up to you. I haven't got it up on the screen behind me, so you may want to close your eyes and just let this beauty of these words penetrate your heart today, but I'll read it to you now. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, when the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. On that mount of crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love, like mighty rivers, poured incessant from above, and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Grace and love, like mighty rivers, poured incessant from above, and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world. In love, now, amazing—that beautiful truth. That is what happened at the cross. Heaven kissed a guilty world in love. It's not just that God is love; He is, and it's not just that God poured His love out onto everybody; He did. But then He took that love and He put it into action—saving action. Because God is love, and love is not love without action. It's not. I can't say I love my brother and then not seek to serve him. I cannot say I love my sister and not care for her when she is hurt. The story of the Good Samaritan is rich in meaning, but it's a story of love in action. The story of the lost sheep, rich in meaning, but a story of love in action. Jesus modeled love in action all the way to the cross. And I know that it was Christ's love for me. I know that it was Christ's love for you that drove him to that cross. And there my sin and my shame was laid on him, and he, the King of heaven, looked down and was willing to find him guilty for my sin, willing to look on him as a atoning sacrifice for me, that I may be dressed in his robes of righteous and presented before God. That is what his love looks like in action. He wasn't content to dwell in his perfect Trinitarian love. He wasn't content just to pour it out on all of the earth. He was not content to leave us to our own destruction. His love for us runs so deep, he wouldn't leave us in our destruction. He made a way. You are loved with an everlasting love that made a way so that you could enter into a relationship with God. And that's what the cross did. God loved everybody and then he made this way with his love that we could step further into that love. That's the next aspect of God's love, God's particular love, his love for his people. We're going to read John chapter 15 verses 9 to 15. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This Is my commandment, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the father told me. Amazing. What a gift of love to be invited in to the father's works. God is saying, come and partner with me. Come and be involved in the things I am doing in this work. Be my friend. It's absolutely crazy that God would say, you are my friends. But he does because his love for us is so deep. He wants relationship with us. He wants relationship with you, independent. He wants this beautiful relationship with you. And he wants a relationship with us as a corporate church. And he says, remain in my love. Don't stand back in that general blessing that keeps the world turning and the lungs breathing. Don't, don't stand in that. God's made a path for you through the cross to come into this greater blessing, to come into this love that he is holding open-handed to you. He's saying, come. Come and be my friend. Come and be my son, adopted into my family. There is a... Um book by D.A. Carson called The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. It's an incredible book and he puts it like this. When the time had fully come, as Paul puts it, God sent his son and we have been incalculably privileged not only to be saved by God's love but to be shown it, to be informed about it, to be let in on the mind of God. God is love and we are the friends of God. We are made friends of God embarrassment of Richards. God's love is so vast but our love as we know it is not the same as God's love the world what we have been told is love it's different and that's the next thing we're going to look at we're going to look at our love for God the type of love that God for us, it's not, has for us its not mutually reciprocal or comparable to our love. God says, you are my friend if you do what I say. I can't say, yeah, and you're my friend, God, if you do what I say. Like That doesn't work that way. That's not the deal we've got here. You remain in my love, he says, if you do what I say. And we love God because of who he is, because of what he has done to fulfill his law and remain in him. He loves us because he is love. I am not love. My husband will testify to you that I am not love. <laughs> Yesterday, he was very stressed out trying to do some um, electrical wiring on a light thing. I didn't care what it was. It was of no interest to me. But he was doing it, and he was getting stressed. And I was at the kitchen counter in my wonderfulness, helping my children bake cakes and monitoring the washing that I'd put on and doing a myriad of other things that I felt were important. And my husband, stressed out because it wasn't working right and he was getting overwhelmed, turned to me and he said, Deb, will you get me a glass of water? Such a simple, desperate plea. And I said, no. (laughs) And I carried on. I genuinely just carried on with what I was doing. No. And I'd say about 20 minutes later, I might have said to him, did you get yourself that glass of water? Like, you've got the skills for that. Thankfully, he has grace and he has forgiven me and he loves me. But I am not love. I get tired and I get grumpy and I am self-serving. I am not love. God is love. We like to think that the world is centered around us. We can't help it. In our other relationships, we look at our parents and we say, I know I had good parents because they loved me well. Or I know I had poor parents because they didn't know how to love me well. We look at friendships and we say, I want to have that friend because they love me. They make me feel good. I don't want that friend because they don't seem to know how to love me. It's not about us. That's not the way that God loves. But as we understand God's love fully, it should help us to recognize the type of love that we are asked to bring to Him and then to hold a mirror to His love and reflect it to the world. It is His love we bring. The Bible tells us that we love because He first loved us, because we have been made the objects and the recipients of God's great love. We are transformed. When the love of God comes into the human heart and it casts out sin, it renders us capable of loving God. We are not capable in our own strength of loving God, but the love of God renders us capable. This love has transformed us so that in turn we're able to perceive the sheer rightness of the first commandment. In the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 5, it says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, All your soul and all your strength. All of history proves that we cannot love the Lord our God out of all of our own heart, all of our own soul, and all of our own strength. We don't have that capacity. It is only by God's great love, His impartation, Him sending the Spirit to live inside us that we are able to do that. That we are able to fully receive his love, fully engage with it, and then reflect it back to a broken world. Every day, every morning, when we wake, there is fresh grace for us. Every morning we can say to God, God, show me today how to love you and how to love people. Show me today how to bring your love to this hurt world. Show me who needs your love today, God. And every night at the end of the day, we can say, thank you, God, that you loved me so well today. Thank you, Lord, and forgive me where I fail to show your love. And God, in his great love, will pour down fresh mercy and grace. He will restore us so that the next morning we can wake again and say, Lord, I love you. Show me how to love you well today. You are loved with amazing, everlasting love, and every day it is fresh and new to you and available to you. If we set our hearts on trying to love him, on trying to please him and glorify him, he will equip us to follow his commandments. But That verse also tells us to seek to remain in God. We should seek to remain in the Lord's love. Don't stand back, like we said, don't stand back here when you could, when you could step in to God's relationship and God's love. Remain in him. I'll talk more at the end about practical ways to do that, but seek to remain in the love of God. So we're to love our, the Lord our God with all our strength, all our soul, and all our heart. She poses a question to me. What do I do with the other things that live in my heart? I love lots of other things. What do I do with those? Well, here is a lovely display of my other loves. And yes, Taylor Swift is on there because she is a once-in-a-generation voice. <laughs> I will not discuss it. So that is a fact. But these are other things I love. And we have a tendency because we love to figure out where value lies. The disciples were sat at Jesus's feet and yet they argued over who was the greatest. We can't help ourselves. So we have this tendency to say, okay, well, I love God first and then I love this thing and then this thing and then this. We want to find hierarchy and order and value and worth. But God says, no, just love me and let my love dictate these loves. These guys are all a par under my great love. These are all an outworking of my great, great love. The risk we run when we do not hold these things that we love in the right place is not that we become bad at loving people. The risk we run is that these things become idols in our lives. I remember growing up and hearing preachers on idol worship and thinking, I don't really get it. I don't, I, it's not an issue for me. And Many of you in this church may have grown up in homes or had relatives who had homes that had shrines in, where there was idol worship or had um, ancestors' pictures that became kind of an idol worship thing in your homes, and you've had to tear away from those things and dismantle those things, and so you know what that looks like. But I didn't get it. And the reason I get it is because in this country, in Britain, British culture, do you know what our idol is? It is ourselves. We make ourselves God's. There's that famous saying, um, an Englishman's house is his castle. This idea of, I will hold my things here and I will rule them. And we take our family and we make it, this beautiful gift from God, we make it an idol. The church, historically, when I was growing up, it was guilty of this. It made marriage look like a goal. And that's not the goal. God is the goal. God is always the goal. And then he blesses us with these beautiful, beautiful things and we're to hold them in their rightful place, under his love, through his love, in service of his love. I say to my children sometimes, if I'm not careful, you know, remember your reflection on me. They're not a reflection on me. That's not their job. Their job is to reflect God. That's what they should be doing in this world. That's what I should be doing in this world. Even our ministries, we can take the church, we can take the things we do that God has gifted us in, and we can hold them as our own little kingdoms and say, oh, look how good I am. No, no, no. Don't make an idol of the things of God. They are not God. I get so nervous. I am sweaty right now. I'm not going to lie. I get so nervous when I preach, when I come on this stage, and I thank God for it, and I pray it will continue forever, as uncomfortable as it is for me, because it reminds me I don't do this in my strength. I do this only through the equipping and the empowering of God. I do this only because God has blessed me with a message that is for your hearts, and I trust that he will work that out. But we have to hold these things in their rightful place and we're going to look at that more in the coming weeks as to what that looks like. How do we hold them in their rightful place? How do we protect ourselves from idols? But one of the ways to do that is to keep ourselves in God's love. Remain in my love. And I want to give you two simple tips today for remaining in the love of God. Firstly, meditate on it. Spend time reading the scripture. Learn to love the word of God. Learn to study the love of God. When it consumes your heart, you don't have places for anything else in there. Nothing can take its place because it is consuming you. Learn to love it. I have cried almost every time I have worked on this preach in the last couple of weeks, because the love of God has been overwhelming to me. Meditate in it, sit in it. If you want somewhere to start on that meditation, let me recommend Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Just pray it. It's a prayer of Paul that covers the love of God. Just pray it over your life. Pray it over your friends. Meditate on the love of God. And then secondly, practice it. Go out, say to God, show me who needs your love today, Lord. Show me who I can reflect your love back to today. Show me how I can be goodness and truth and grace and kindness in this world. Show me, God, how to bring your love to the people who need it. And never underestimate the power of the love of God to transform a person, to transform a situation, and to transform your own perspective Life is hard and we can be bogged down in the hardness of it all. And God says, lift your eyes to me, see that I am good and that you are loved with an everlasting love. I'm going to pray for us in a minute, but before I do, I want to steal one last thing from Charles Spurgeon. Um, At the end of his sermon on God's love that I was reading in preparation for this, um, he said this, You have heard a sermon today and you may think, now I have done with it. Well, it may be so, but it has not done with you. You will be called to account for every truth it contains, for every reminder to your conscience and every affectionate invitation that reaches your heart. I pray that is true today. I pray you cannot shake the things you have heard this morning, that they will stalk you out of this building, that they have grabbed your heart and they will hold tight to you with this reminder that you are loved with an everlasting God. There is a king who stands at the door and he knocks. Now I'm going to pray for us. Um, first, I want to pray for anyone here today who has not known the love of God in your life, anyone who this is new to, anyone who has resisted God or knows that you have turned your heart from him and you want to step back you want to come into a relationship with God this morning. If you would all just close your eyes. I'm not going to ask you to do anything big. I want to make this the easiest step you've ever taken. If everyone just closes your eyes where you are. <clears throat> and if that is you. If you just join with me as I pray. Father God. I'm sorry. That I have turned my heart away from you. I know. That you sent your son to die on a cross. So that I could be in relationship with you. Restored. And standing in your presence. And I ask you now God. Would you come into my heart? Would you come and be the king of my life? Amen. And if you prayed that this morning, if that rang true to you, please tell somebody. You are in a family in this church and we want to walk with you in this. There will be people at the front this morning who would love to pray with anyone who has anything that needs prayer. But particularly if you prayed that prayer, feel free to come forward and tell somebody. And certainly tell a friend, a Christian friend, so they can walk this with you. And now I'm going to pray for the rest of us. If you would, close your eyes where you're at. Father God, we love you so deeply, Lord. And we know that the deep, deep love we have for you is but a, a, an inch of the love that you have for us, God. Thank you for your abundant love, your everlasting, eternal love your constant and true love. Thank you that you have lavishly poured it out on our lives, God. And we ask you to forgive us, Lord, where we have not recognized it. Forgive us where we have turned from it. Forgive us, Lord, where we have taken things and held them as a love greater than you, where we have put our time, our energy, our mind into things that have not been in service of your love. Forgive us now, Lord. I thank you that your grace is fresh today for us, Lord that you are ready always to bring grace and forgiveness into our lives and to love us again. And we lay those things now at the foot of the cross. If that is you, I just would advise you to hold your hands out as a sign of giving these things over to God, as a sign of wanting to hold lightly the things that God has blessed your life with. We give over the things that have become idols in our lives, God. We put them at the foot of the cross and we recognize you as the one king the one king that reigns in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, delight us with your love today. Father God, I pray your love would follow us as we leave this place. I thank you, Lord, that you have gone ahead of us to prepare for us, Lord, that you are beside us as we walk through the week to come, that your love would be a marker of our lives, Lord. Would you highlight to each of us this week people that we can bring the love of God to, let us be the best neighbors. Let us be the best colleagues. Let us be the best sisters and brothers. Let us love with a love unequal to anything this earth knows because it's a love of God that is brought through our lives in service to the world so that it would reflect His glory to them. Lord, we pray that our love would bring glory to your name, not ours. Lord, fill us now with your heart, Lord, where there are hearts in this room that are hurting, where there are hearts that are tired and weighed down and sore. Pour out your love now, Lord, this love that is so different to the world, this love that is so complete. Pour it out now, Father God, come with your spirit and rest in people's hearts in this room that they would know the sure and certain truth that they are loved with an everlasting love. Thank you, God, for this time we've spent together this morning. Thank you that you are amongst us and that you go with us. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.